Now, one of the blessings, many blessings, of having a daughter uh, is that I get to read lots of uh, books with her, which I simply never read growing up in rural Zambia. Uh, as a lover of books, uh, I am genuinely fascinated by children's stories in the English language and what they are trying to communicate. Um, take the story of Rapunzel, for example. Uh, in the version of the story that we have at home of Rapunzel, the young girl Rapunzel is locked up in a tall tower uh, by some very evil woman. And the only person that Rapunzel gets to see is this evil woman, right? And, and this evil woman climbs up the tower Right, using Rapunzel's beautiful long golden hair as a ladder to get up to where she's locked Rapunzel. Now one day it so happens that a prince is passing by and in the story he sees this evil woman going through her routine, right? She calls Rapunzel and to let down her hair and the long golden hair comes down and this evil woman then climbs up to the top of the tower. So the prince sees all of this. And after this woman has gone through the routine and then the woman leaves, uh, the handsome prince decides to give it a try himself. And so he calls Rapunzel and uh, she lets the air down and he climbs up. Rapunzel lets her in in the castle. And of course in the story is that they fall in love, don't they? That's how the story goes. Um, now later on, the evil woman finds out that the prince has been visiting, right? And she's not very happy. So what does she do? She cuts Rapunzel's long golden hair and sends her away. But she keeps the long golden hair. And then she waits for the prince. And so the prince comes, he goes through the routine, he calls Rapunzel, and, and the, the evil woman who's up the top lets down this long golden hair. And he climbs up. Of course, he doesn't know it's the evil woman. When he gets up there, he finds out it's this evil woman who's there waiting for him at the top. And of course, what happens in the story is that she pushes him down and he loses his sight uh, completely. So what happens is that the prince is now blind and he's wandering through life broken-hearted. Uh, his lost love, Rapunzel, is also broken-hearted um, because she's also been sent away and she spends time, of course, in the story singing in tears. Now, after some years, after all hope seems lost, the prince hears a woman singing, right? And immediately recognizes her. And so he approaches her. And of course, that's when it happens, isn't it? Rapunzel begins to cry at the sorry sight of our lost prince. And soon, of course, her tears, Rapunzel's tears, falls on the face of the blind prince. And of course, as the tears fall, they start to heal the prince. His eyes are fully restored by the loving tears of Rapunzel. Now, I don't know what you make of that story, but I think what the story is trying to teach us is, is that the story of Rapunzel is really a story about the power of love to overcome any broken situation and bring healing to the broken circumstances of our lives, the stuff that life throws at us. It's a moral tale. It is telling us that no matter how bad things get, we must not despair. If we have love, the love in us can push away the deepest darkness of life. And that is true, isn't it? Is it not true? Love is the glue that holds families, friendships, and societies together. 
It enables us to face trials with a bond of unity. And yet the more I read that story, and I've read it many times, the more I'm troubled by it at the same time. I'm encouraged by it, but I'm also troubled by it. Because it seems to be saying that the prince needs Rupanzo in life to be happy. And vice versa, right? It is holding up a love to our children that depends on another human being as the ultimate form of love. He's saying if you have this love from another human being, it can bring healing and it can make you whole. Now the reality is that no human love can truly make us whole. That's the truth. No tears of human love can ultimately fulfill us and make us live happily thereafter. But what if there really is someone whose tears of love can heal us? Not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, and spiritually as well. What if there's someone whose tears of mercy have the power to banish our spiritual darkness forever? Not just in this life, but beyond the grave. We would want such a person, wouldn't we? And the Bible is about such a person. The Bible is the word of the living God. And it tells us that God has sent us such a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Mark is one of the four books in the Bible that gives a blow-by-blow account of the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ while he was on earth. And today what I just want to do briefly is I want us to look at something that Jesus did when he was passing through the city of Jericho on his way to go to Jerusalem. Jesus did a miracle that is similar to what we read about in Rapunzel, but except that this miracle of Jesus really happened. It's not fiction, it's a real thing. And unlike Rapunzel's story, this amazing story of Jesus recorded here, which we have in front of us, has power to truly change our lives. It can heal our spiritual blindness. And so look with me there at Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. And this passage records how the Lord Jesus healed a man called Blind Bartimaeus uh, in the city of Jericho. Now the key truth, when we read this story, the key truth I just want to tell you that this story is really trying to teach us. It's just one point, really. It is teaching us that Jesus has come to give mercy to the spiritually blind. That's what this story is teaching. Jesus has come to give mercy to the spiritually blind. Look with me there at verse 46. We're just going to walk through this. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, isn't it? Right? That's what he says. He's on a mission to die for sinners. That's the context. Right? He's going to go to Jerusalem to die for sinners on the cross at Golgotha. But before Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he has decided to pass through the desert town of Jericho. Now, it is around 15 miles from Jerusalem, right? Jesus is passing through Jericho. And Jesus is in Jericho at a very busy time. A very busy time. The Jewish Passover is approaching and the roads are jam-packed with uh, pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. And if we are watching this now on TV, right, 
we can see in Jericho, right? Jesus is about to leave Jericho. We can see there's a big crowd around Jesus, right? And if it was today, there would be so many people that they're holding up, if you like, cameras for this Instagram moment. Jesus is a big name in Palestine. And they've come to see him. And we can see loads of people around him. And suddenly, if we're watching this, a camera switches to a dirty man by the side of the road. We can see that this man is struggling to balance himself a little bit. The crowd is bustling and he's in the middle of this crowd. And if the camera zooms in on this person, we can see that this person is blind, right? He seems to be motioning something, right? What is he saying? Well, let's listen in. Look at verse 46. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. That's what he said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's what this man is shouting. Now, Bartimaeus is blind, right? In a society with no universal credit. It's not like today. He is completely helpless. Life has left him begging on the streets to feed himself. He cannot enjoy the beauty of creation. He lives in total darkness. He's blind. His life in every way really is a prison. Because he's not living as God intended for us to live. And I would imagine there must be many days, right, when Bartimaeus cries to himself on that street. He's longing for his life to change. His life hurts and he's crying out for mercy. And we hear him shouting off the top of his line here for Jesus to show him mercy. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Now, as this man shouts this, what do we expect to happen? We naturally expect the crowd to help him, don't we? We expect the crowd to give him a hand and to bring him to Jesus. Right? But to our surprise, the faces are hostile to this man. They are disgusted that this local blind man, Bartimaeus, has the guts to raise his voice in public. Look at verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. It's shocking, isn't it? The people around Bartimaeus think it's a public nuisance. They want, if he was today, they would want to give him an asbo, right? An antisocial behavior order. They think he's in the wrong place. At the wrong time. Now, I don't think they necessarily think he does not deserve help from Jesus. I don't think they say that's the case. I think it is more likely that they are just blind to the pain of his condition. They have probably become used to seeing him blind that they just do not see his needs anymore. His blindness no longer drives them to tears, perhaps like it once used to. And we see this in our own lives, don't we? We see this in our lives. The first time on your way into the office, you notice the homeless man. 
You stand up. And you debate with yourself when you're saying, should I, should I, should I not, should I, should I help him or not? Right? First time. You don't do anything, but it nights your conscience, doesn't it? Maybe I should have done something. Maybe you should give me something. But maybe just a con man. I, I don't know. But next, next mo- what happens is next time, in the morning, you think to yourself as you see this man, if he's there, I must walk quickly. Right? That's what happened next day. A week after, you don't have to walk quickly. You no longer notice him. He's still there, broken, needs your help. But you're not blind to his situation. And we must ask ourselves, shouldn't we? Why are we blind to other people's needs like that? Well, the Bible's answer is that because our human heart is born spiritually blind to God, all of us are rebellious against God. It is not just blind, but the man here who is blind. The crowd are also blind. They are crowding around Jesus, but they do not have the loving heart of Christ in them. That's the issue here. And they are like that because they are actually spiritually blind. Now one of the images the Bible uses to describe human beings is that we are in a state of spiritual blindness or spiritual darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I want you, I want to, I want you to imagine with me for a minute a planet in a galaxy far, far away. In that, on that planet, everyone is born physically blind. Right? And everything on that planet cut us for the blind. Everything. Well, that is our spiritual situation on earth. We are not just spiritually blind. Every human being is born blind to his or our own spiritual blindness. But the good news of the Bible is that God has come in Jesus to this planet of the spiritually blind to give us sight. Jesus has come to do this so that we can live as God intended. And we see that here, don't we? Let's go back to the story. But the man has eat a human firewall, hasn't it? But he plans to die trying. Look at verse 48 there. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And then verse 48 continues. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, his prayer to Jesus has not gone unnoticed because we read on in verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus stopped for this man and said, call him. Now, our Lord Jesus does not have to do this. He does not have to stop for this man. Jesus has spent the last three years on earth prior to this moment healing the sick, raising the dead. He went about doing good. He has gone far, infinitely beyond of what 
any human being has done on earth. No one can accuse Jesus of not being generous if he decides not to stop for this man. No one. But Christ stops for this man. Why does Christ stop for this man? Because our Lord, the heart of our Lord Jesus beats mercy for those who suffer. He hears the cries of the needy above the noises of the crowd. And he calls them to his mercy. You should note that. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus this morning. And you are in a helpless situation. I don't know what it is. But a helpless situation. The Bible is saying to you this morning, Jesus has stopped for you. He hears your cry in the middle of the noise. Maybe you are praying and you feel like one voice among the crowd. We may even say that life itself is telling you to just switch off your prayers. But the Bible is saying, don't stop praying. Your Savior is listening. He has not yet given you what you're seeking, but you have Him and He is with you. He has stopped for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, be comforted, beloved. Our Lord is never silent to your prayers. This is why Christ has put on your flesh. He has come to be your powerful strength and help. That's our Lord. So then Jesus calls for Bartimaeus here, doesn't he? And I imagine the Lord Jesus says it a bit louder. Call him. Not call him. Call him with a sense of authority. And I picture the people next to Bartimaeus turning to him and verse 49 says, So they called to the blind man and they said to him, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. The ESV says, Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Their words, their words of the, these people mirror Jesus' own heart for Bartimaeus. When they said to him, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. I am imagining Jesus, I'm hearing Jesus talking through them to Bartimaeus. Cheer up. Get up. I am calling you to myself. And we're told Bartimaeus leaps to his feet. He jumps to his feet, doesn't he? He casts aside this beggar's robe and, and I'm sure there must have been coins in there. He just leaves them behind and, and I'm imagining he begins to feel and listen his way to Jesus because he's blind. Verse 50 says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And I'm picturing as he comes to Jesus, the crowd is patting in front of him, isn't it? Because he's blind and he's helped to get there. And as he parts in front of him until this blind man finally stands in front of the King of Mercy, our generous Savior, our Lord Jesus. We read on verse 51. As he stands before Jesus, Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. 
Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. What a moment that must have been for him. This man has been blind. And perhaps from birth, perhaps. Or perhaps from a very young age. But the first person he sees, now that he's got sight, is God in the flesh. He, he hoped to see perhaps life to the full. He hoped to go on holiday perhaps somewhere. He hoped perhaps just to attend to his kids and care for them. He wanted perhaps just the ordinary things of life. But Jesus always over delivers. Because as he opens the eyes of this blind man, this blind man sees God in the flesh. And he doesn't just see God in the flesh in Jesus. He has faith in Jesus. How do I know? Because our verse 52 continues. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. How is that faith? Well, we don't have time to go through all of Mark, but you see, Mark is all about Jesus going to Jerusalem. And in Mark 8, verse 34, he tells us, if anyone would come after me, he must fall, take up the cross and follow me. So when Mark uses his words like he followed Jesus along the way, what is along the way, along the road? It's along the way to Golgotha. But the mayor's life now is a pattern of the true discipleship. It's in fact a contrast in some degree to John and James just before who wanted greatness. Who wanted to be great rather than follow. Just the verses that come before that. Here we are, Bartimaeus, following Jesus now. And I'm sure the triumphal entry is coming very shortly as we get to chapter, eight, to, chapter to Mark 11. As we get there, you see, if you read on, you see celebration. People using the very words that Bartimaeus uses here. They are praising Jesus as the son of David. Bartimaeus is the first person to call Jesus son of David in Mark. And his confession of Christ forms the template for the, tri- for the celebration of the triumphal entry. His is true faith. His is a picture of what true faith looks like. He has faith in Christ. This is our Jesus, isn't it? He's so full of mercy, full of compassion, full of tenderness, full of grace for sinners. Our Lord Jesus has summoned this nobody, blind Bartimaeus. He has summoned him from the margins of life. He has made him his very own. He has drawn him to himself with loving kindness. He has called him to himself. The beggar has become a disciple. A seeing, walking, talking follower of Jesus. And my friends, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus has come to offer each one of us. Listen to me. The miracles in the Gospels, they are not intended as random events. Whenever you read these miracles, you shouldn't be imagining that Jesus somehow is just a spiritual vending machine that's walking around Palestine, dishing out miracles like they're sort of randomly arranged. No. These miracles here, Jesus did them to reveal 
who he is and the salvation he has brought us on the cross today. And we know that from just reading John 20, verse 30 to 31, which says, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But the, and the same, that's the book of, that's the Gospel of John. But the same can be said for all the Gospels. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Listen, when we read the Old Testament that we just read from Isaiah 35, or we just read all of the Old Testament, what we have in the Old Testament are foreshadows of what's coming in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, you know, is an advanced photo, a picture of the life of Jesus, right? So everything we read from Samson to Moses, all these characters, they are all in some way foreshadow of the Lord Jesus, right? When we get to the New Testament, as we see Jesus doing the miracles, the miracles themselves are a foreshadow of two things. You might say three things, but two things. They're a foreshadow of what Jesus has come to do on the cross. As we see him doing these things, they are pointing us, this is what Jesus has come to do, spiritually, right? He's come to heal, he's healing people physically. What is that doing? He's going to heal them spiritually on the cross. As he raises the dead, what is he going to do? He's going to raise the dead, spiritually dead, as he rises from death, right? But the miracles are not just pointing us to the cross. The miracles are also pointing us to the new heavens and new earth, right? They're saying, when Christ comes in glory, this is how heaven will be like. Heaven will be a place in which no one is blind. The new heavens and the new earth will be a place when Yeshua is in his kingdom. The new earth will be a place where no one is blind. No one is blind. So you've got those two dynamics I'm just pointing out. The key thing I'm trying to tell you is that in this miracle particularly, we must ask ourselves, shouldn't we, what does the healing of the blind Bartimaeus in this passage tell us about Jesus and his work on the cross? And the answer I hope you know already is this. The physical healing of this blind man is a picture of the spiritual healing of our of the healing of our spiritual blindness that Jesus has come to bring about by his death on the cross. Because you see, all human beings live in a state of darkness. We are that planet I talked about. That's natural years, right? We are cut off from God. We are fruitless living. Whatever we're doing, a fruitless living trying to crawl around the dark. We are blind people. This is what this word is. To crawl through our spiritual darkness. But Jesus has, has come to lift us out of the darkness of our sin by his mercy. He has come to give us spiritual sight through faith in his death and resurrection for us. You see, a key promise, as I said, we read in Isaiah 35, particularly verse 4 and 6, is that the Messiah would come to give spiritual sight to the spiritual blind. Jesus, as a hero, the blind Bartimaeus, to reveal that he is the promised Messiah who has come to give spiritual sight to the spiritually blind by his cross. Through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we see God in his glory, don't we? When he gives us faith, we, see, we begin to see God for who God is in Christ. We start to truly live human lives that think, act, and enjoy God's creation in the way that God intended 
for us, but for us to be delivered from our spiritual blindness and have life with God in Christ, we need to have true faith in Jesus like blind Bartimaeus. True faith in Jesus is not just church attendance. It's not church attendance that you live in, say, to be clear. It's not even reading your Bible. Those are all good things. That's not faith in Jesus. True faith in Jesus, first of all, is accepting that you are spiritually blind. Do you accept you are spiritually blind? That you cannot see God for who God is unless Jesus opens your spiritual eyes to see God. True faith starts with that. He said, Lord, I am a blind man. I don't know you as I'm meant to know you. All my works are covered in darkness. Even the good things I do are all dead in sin. True faith starts like that. But it doesn't stop there simply acknowledging that you're spiritually blind. It goes beyond that. It sees Jesus as the only one who can remove your spiritual blindness. And then that blind but the mayors, it calls out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's mercy, isn't it? Why mercy? Because we are sinners. We are sinners. And so you must surrender your life to Jesus like Bartimaeus. Cry out to him. And listen to this. True faith results in a changed life. New affections for Jesus. A new longing to know him more. If you are what you have always been, you are not yet a true Christian. No matter how much mileage you've clocked in church, no matter how excited you get about the Bible, if there has been no radical transformation, then you have not been converted. Because we see true conversion resides, results in a new life. But Amaeus has now left his begging business. He has no desire for it now because he has met Jesus. He has a new life. The love of Jesus now constrains him to follow Jesus wherever he is. Nothing else matters to him apart from Jesus. Now listen, we are always growing in surrendering to Jesus. But there is no true faith in Christ without surrendering your heart to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the question you must ask yourself this morning is this. Does this describe your life? Can you, as you sit here today, say, I have truly repented of my sin. Christ has my heart and I have his heart. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he is my Savior and Lord. Well, if the answer is no, then you are not yet a true Christian. You must repent today. You must surrender your heart to God at this very moment. Today, if you hear his heart, his voice, do not harden your heart. How long will you continue walking on in sin? How long will you live in a state of spiritual darkness? How long will you bind yourself to hell forever? Come. Christ is calling you this morning. Come. Come to me. 
Let me give you spiritual sight. This very moment, repent of your sin. Surrender to Him. Let Christ make you His own. You forgive your sin if you truly surrender to Him. He will give you a new heart and a new, and you write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. What about those of us here who are already trusting in Jesus? What are we meant to do with this truth that Jesus gives mercy to the spiritually blind? Well, I can go on forever, but I'll just give you three, three things. Just, I just want to leave you with three encouragements this morning from this. For true believers. First of all, be thankful for the mercy of the Lord Jesus to you. Really, be thankful. You know deep down, if you're a true believer... That once you lived in a terrible darkness and terrible blindness. You were spiritually blind like Bartimaeus. You were knee deep in sin and cut off from God. You were under the wrath and judgment of God. Of a holy and righteous God. But Christ came and he opened your eyes to see his truth. He made you understand that you were spiritually blind. And he made you cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. You didn't cry out to Jesus because you were cleverer than people around you. You only did it because God the Holy Spirit enabled you to cry out to God. It is the grace of God in Jesus alone that saves you. That saved you. That is saving you. And that will save you. It is all Christ, friends. It is all Christ. You know that. And you know that Christ has ensured that one day you will see God face to face. And we cannot even begin to imagine what God has in store for us in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Our eternity with Christ will be an ever deeper daily plunge into his immeasurable light and glory. I told my daughter that heaven will be like every day will be better than the last day. Every day we just get better. Just better. And it's already perfect. If you can imagine that. To be with Jesus. To see him who bled and died for us. To bask in his brilliant light every day. What will it be like? You can't even imagine be thankful to God for that. Be thankful that Christ has removed your spiritual blindness and has prepared such a wonderful future for you. You have life with God forever. Secondly, this truth that God has healed your spiritual blindness in Jesus should give you confidence to come to him for daily mercy. Thankfulness. Second thing is confidence to come to Jesus for daily mercy. 
In this passage, we see our Lord Jesus asking this future disciple, Bartimaeus, a wonderful question. What do you want me to do for you? That's the question. He asks him, verse 51, What do you want me, King of kings and Lord of lords, to do for you? And I think the Lord Jesus is asking you this morning as his follower the same question. What do you want me to do for you? What trouble and heartache are on your heart? Is it a battle against illness? Is it a struggle of old age? Is it a relationship at home? At work? Or perhaps sadly, even here in the fellowship that has perhaps turned sour? Or perhaps you're asking God for something you desire, something you long for. You want God to give your spouse or your child a new heart or your grandchild a new heart that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Christ is inviting you through this passage to bring your needs to him. Now, this does not mean that Christ will give you everything you want. He's a loving parent, isn't he? And no good parent gives their child everything they want. Even the granddads and the grandmoms don't just give their grandkids everything. And they, if they can't give their kids, grandkids everything, then you know, you know the truth, don't you? Christ is our loving parent. He only gives us what we need, not what we want. He gives us what is best for us. And you know you can trust Christ with your heart. Because he has done the most difficult thing. Anyone can do for you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into his beloved kingdom. He has brought you from darkness into light, from enmity to friendship, from slavery to freedom in him. He has made you a citizen of heaven. You can trust him. So come to him today with your needs. Pour out your burdens to him. He's your merciful, tender, compassionate, loving Savior. He has come to give himself to you, his child. Our Lord Jesus is not a stingy father. No, we see in Christ the very heart of God. Compassionate, loving, caring. So go to him. Go to him now. Don't doubt. Go to him. He's asking. What do you want me to do for you? Finally, and I'll end here. This passage is here not only to encourage you to be thankful, not only to encourage you to be confident to bring your burdens before God, but it is here to challenge you as a follower of Jesus to repent. Repent of what? To repent of blocking people from being with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes instead of bringing people to Christ, we block them from Christ. Now, I know the Lord is sovereign in all things. I, I know that. But in our relationship, and now we deal in the, in the, at the human plane, we might say. 
right? We sin. And we sin in a specific way sometimes, which is instead of bringing people to Christ, we block them from Christ. Like the people in verse 48, right? Who stopped blind Bartimaeus coming to see the Lord Jesus. The people, it says in verse 48, many rebuked him, Brother Mears, and told him to be quiet. Right? So I want to ask you a question today. I want you to ask yourself this, brother. Who in your life are you blocking from receiving mercy from Christ? Honestly, ask yourself that. Who, think of your life, as you sit here right now, who in your life at this moment are you blocking from receiving mercy from Christ? Who is your Bartimaeus? Your failure to forgive that colleague at work who unfairly took credit for your work is blocking her discovering the forgiving mercy of Christ through you. You're blocking her by your lack of forgiveness. Unless you forgive, to be harder for her, to be hard for her, to discover mercy in Christ. You're continually raising your voice to your son when or grandson when he upsets you is blocking him, discovering the grace of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in him. Your behavior, sinful behavior, is stopping him from discovering the grace of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in him. Your failure to make time for that brother you have not seen in the church for a while is blocking him remembering God dwells in his church. When the people of God are just about me, myself, me and myself, they're stopping the grace of God flowing through them to remind other believers on the edge of the church from knowing that Christ is compassionate and kind and dwells in his church. There are many examples we can give. My point is simply this as I come to an end. I want to call you to examine your heart and repent of standing in the way of God's mercy, standing in the way of God's work even in the life of the church. Because the way you are living perhaps is leaving people on the edge. Is not really life-giving, not really pointing them to the life-giver. Rather, it's being like these people in verse 48. So repent of blocking the Bartimaeus of your life. Give yourself afresh to Christ to use you to bring sinners to himself so that, like you, they too can receive spiritual sight from our Lord Jesus. And so just then to conclude, the good news of this passage is that Jesus has come to give mercy to the blind. He has come to remove our spiritual blindness. And if we're trusting in Christ, we can be sure that Christ has not only taken away our spiritual blindness, His mercy is now for us in every situation. And so whatever then difficult situation you're facing this morning, right, be sure that bring them, as I said, to Christ. Trust Christ with them. Keep going to Christ in every situation. His mercy is for us. And finally, let us repent 
or blocking people from receiving spiritual sight. We are here to point others to Christ, not to block them from Christ. Let us bring them so that Christ would heal them spiritually. Amen.